I'd say good afternoon, I'd say good morning, I'd say good night, but actually I don't know when I'm gonna post this, I don't know when you're gonna be listening to this. So I am Dan Klein, this is I'm Bored. Uh, we are taping this on Sunday afternoon. I am a little bit loopy because I did a two hour live video cast for The Motley Fool last night. Uh, I am probably gonna be doing more of those, so take a look at fool.com if you uh, have investing questions you want answered. Uh, but joining me today is a, a dear friend, my co-author of two books, uh, our most recent being a book called Worst Ideas Ever, uh, Jason Tomaszewski. Jason, how are you holding up uh, during the coronavirus apocalypse here? We're doing very well, um, surprisingly. <laughs> but uh, I suppose we'll take it in the face of a, a worldwide pandemic. Are you just letting the kids play endless video games or? <laughs> no, well, there, there's plenty of, of Roblox and Minecraft going on, but uh, we are trying to break that up a little bit here and there with some actual um, uh, educational content. Uh, see, I'm not worried about educational content. Everybody's so panicking. Oh, schools are closed. We're going to miss. We have to homeschool. Do you feel like if you missed any six months of high school, your educational base would be any different? No. Well, let me think about that for a second. Uh, no, I'd, I'd have been solid. Six months? Yeah, I mean, assuming that they make up the important stuff. So obviously, if like you're taking the first month of algebra, you're probably, that's probably the part you need. Right. Uh, but if I had missed two out of four years of high school and they just condensed it all into two years, I think I would have been good. Like, I, I don't, I kind of feel like school, the way it's set up, uh, and I have a lot of respect, I had a lot of great teachers, but school is kind of warehousing kids for the most part. Like, I don't, I don't feel like much of what you do is all that useful. So missing, you know, in our case, uh, they're going to start doing some online lessons next week. And that'll be good just to give uh, Joshua, who's a, a sophomore, something to do that's more useful. Uh, but we've been making him, he's taking an at-home algebra class, and he's been meeting with his tutor online. Hopefully we can get that cleared up. But for the most part, this is kind of a unique time. I'm okay with a lot of video games. I'm okay with um, significant video games. I, I, I do like it when the weather permits and they get outside and they start, you know, running around and, and playing in the yard and that sort of thing. Um, but given my kids' age, uh, they're, they're both 10, soon to be 11 years old. Um, it's For us, the, the pandemic is more about uh, making sure that they're looked after between the hours of eight and five every day. Right, and we're indefinitely a a different situation. Uh, obviously, Joshua's 16, so he can occupy himself. Um, and for me, I assume you're both going into work. Are you, are you yeah. considered, considered so, yeah. essential? Yes. Um, uh, my wife, Dawn, as, as part of uh, the heart and vascular team, is certainly essential uh, in, in this um, case. Myself, as a member of the marketing and comms team, uh, am deemed essential because uh, we are the only people in, at uh, – uh, in our health system who are uh, empowered to speak either on behalf of the health system, the various hospitals, uh, but also to uh, issue communications internally to our, uh, our employees. Uh, and are you going in or can you work from home? Our teams are split up at the moment. Uh, some of us are in the office, others are at home. Uh, that's being dealt with um, on a, a week to week basis. Uh, we, we may rotate that. Uh, we may eventually say everybody's going to work from home. Um, but those, those decisions are being made week to week. Uh, 
Yeah, so as you know, I work from home anyway. Um, our entire office has closed. So I was supposed to be in the office in March. I moved that to mid-April. We are now closed until May 1st. It wouldn't shock me if it goes longer, simply because uh, we built for this. We, we've never required people to be in the office. I've often been in the office and people have come in just because I'm there. They don't normally spend a lot of time at their desk. So that's been good. Um, you know, my wife is working from home and Joshua's home and at, at, you've never seen our place, but we live in a 1300 square foot condo uh, with one desk. So, uh, and Joshua has a little desk in his room, but we had to order a desk that's uh, my project for the afternoon sitting out in the living room. And hopefully the chair arrives to go with that because I've been working on the couch um, and I do have a co-working office and, and it's an actual walled office and nobody has been there. So that's where I taped last night. Uh, but no. moving away from the, the misery of the, the situation, um, obviously we're both getting through this okay. Uh, very lucky to still be working, in my case, working uh, probably twice as much as normal. Um, Jason and I wrote a book together called Worst Ideas Ever. And that grew out of an idea called 101 Lousy Nights, which we were going to talk about the worst movies of the 80s and 90s. Uh, Jason, do you even remember that we proposed that as a book? I do remember. In fact, I, I, if I remember correctly, the, the original pitch was the, the 100 worst films of the video era. So um, I, I think we, we worded it that way so that we could include a couple late 70s titles like Xanadu. Uh, and I'd still be happy to write this book. So if, uh, if anyone in the publishing industry who will not only contract us to write a book, but also send us the check they promise. So that's, <laughs> that's maybe like 5% of the publishing industry. Uh, if anybody honest is listening, we'd still be open to doing that. So we're going to do a countdown and we're using data from Screen Rant, uh, which used data from Rotten Tomatoes. So this isn't a list we put together, and maybe there's some movies on the list that we like. I have not looked at the list. I thought this would be more fun uh, if, we, if I didn't. Jason, have you looked at the list? I have not. Okay, so number 20 on the list uh, is a movie that, in my opinion, has something in common with a lot of bad movies, and I will share that later. Steven Spielberg's Hook. Jason, how did you feel about Hook at the time? Oh, at the time, I remember enjoying it. And looking back at it now, um, I don't know if I'd make this the, tw I don't know if this would even make the top 50 worst films of, the la of that decade. Um, I mean, yeah. you're talking about Steve, Steve, all right, it's Steven Spielberg, and you know, not even arguably, definitively not his best work. But I think taking that material, that, that source, um, you know, Robin, uh, or not Robin Hood, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Peter Pan, um, and, and putting a, a new spin on it, I think, uh, was and still is a unique, a unique take on the film, on the story. Yes, but Jason, do you remember who played Peter Pan? Okay, I'll give you that. Uh, <laughs> Robin Williams doing his, his best Robin Williams, but, you know, circa 1990, whenever, that was a big deal. So this was during peak oversaturation of Robin Williams, where he was basically playing his full-on manic, coked-out personality. And, and I have to be honest, I did not like him then. Other than Goodwill Hunting, I cannot think of too many things I enjoy him in. Uh, it takes you out of the movie ridiculously because he is just uh, his normal frenetic self. So I, I thought it was a good start. Uh, you know, it's not Popeye bad for Robin Williams, but it is bad. You know, what I, you know what I will say, but, you know, on, on behalf of this film is, 
you know, his, his story is the, the A story, but I think um, there's a lot, a lot to be salvaged from the, the B storylines. His son, uh, and I don't remember the, the, the actor or even the character's name in the film, but you know, Captain Hook trying to, to lure him away from his father and the, the sort of um, you know, absentee parent, so, which pops up a lot in Spielberg's work. Um, but those stories, I think, uh, I think are, are, are redemptive to some degree. I, uh, you remember a lot more about Hook than I do. But number 19, I'm going to take issue with. Number 19 is The Flintstones. And I am not saying that The Flintstones was a good movie. This isn't the live-action Flintstones with John Goodman wearing the Fred Flintstone dress. So it is pretty bad. But how is The Flintstones on here and Flintstones 2, Viva Rock Vegas? And maybe that one's lower down the list, but this is the better of the two Flintstone movies, uh, Jason. Yeah, but th- that's like saying what's <laughs> you know, the, the better of the two, you know, Oscar Mayer prepackaged sandwich meats. It's neither of them are good for you. I, I would go with better of the two kidney stones. <laughs> like okay. I mean, so, it, it, this might be a situation where Viva Rock Vegas came out like in a different decade by three months. I, I don't think so. The Flintstones was 94. I, th- I think they both would have been, but obviously there's some leeway. This is by far the more successful of the two Flintstones movies. And this is one of those cases. I know there's this whole trend to do live action versions of cartoons. Uh, uh, we're about to get a Mulan live action action movie and I on a cruise ship watched the uh the Lion King live action movie and uh little I'll take umbrage with that that was not live action in any way it was okay the live er action I was about to say because obviously the lion was a CGI lion very difficult to get actual lions to sing but the Flintstones is just a visual look that does not work when sort of portrayed directly in real life. Well, I'd argue, were, were the Flintstones even popular in, 19, in 1994? I mean, I, pick, pick 10 kids, you know, under the age of 15 today at random and ask them who the Flintstones are. I don't even know if they'd say it's the people from the vitamins. So I think the Flintstones now have fallen out of favor. I think in 1994, we still had a fairly limited cable universe and you had Boomerang and the Flintstones and the Jetsons um, were actually still sort of part of the vernacular. Right now, I'd say the only one of those era shows would be Scooby-Doo. For some reason, kids still like Scooby-Doo. Because they uh, still produce new Scooby-Doos. They, 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 they do. And, and, you know, we need Scooby-Doo to save WrestleMania again. So... <laughs> <laughs> So I'm going to take number 18. I totally disagree with number 18 is spawn. And while spawn is an absolutely ridiculous movie, it's pretty entertaining. The premise was good. This spawned uh, the HBO series of the same name and character. And that's one of my favorite shows of, uh, I think it was a few years later, but that, uh, that's, that's fine to enjoy the show, but let, let's remember for a second here that this is a character, like the whole store, the whole comic book history is definitively R rated and the film was decidedly PG-13. Yeah, and, and that is a challenge. I mean, you know, it, it's, and some of the visual look at it, I'm looking at uh, the picture. I think that's John Leguizamo. That is John Leguizamo. He looks like something between a Smurf and an Oompa Loompa. Is that? <laughs> yeah, yes, but it, it, to be fair, like that, that's sort of um, uh, uh, comic um, appropriate. Like that, that, that's what the character looks like. But I, I can't get over the fact that the, the whole bit with Spawn is that he straight up murders people and they don't do that at all in the film. Yeah. I mean, look, it's, it's difficult subject matter. And speaking of straight up mur- murders people, we're going to go to number 17. Another one I totally disagree with. Judge Dredd. 
not the best alone, but a perfectly entertaining movie. Uh, a good premise. Judges are sort of like policemen that try people in the street and can execute them if they're found guilty. Uh, I thought Sly pulled it off pretty well. Uh, it was a very good cast. Uh, Jason, do you do you think this one should be on here? Uh, yes, and it, my my problem with this is is the same problem that everybody else has. If you'd changed the name and changed all the characters' names, this would have been a, a very serviceable mid '90s actioner. Instead, they took a beloved comic book, uh, comic book story, comic book hero, and completely gutted him. I mean, the the whole bit with Dread is that he never takes his helmet off. He, he barely says two words. He comes in, he kicks a bunch of ass, and then you know, end of story. In this, he never wears the helmet. He's wisecracking. It's, it's, it was uh, an affront to the character that people love. Yeah, I have to be honest that while I am a pretty big comic book guy, I could not say I was familiar with the Judge Dredd comic. <laughs> that... Fair enough, but many people were. And, and that, that's why there was such disappointment when the new one came out with Carl Urban that was very faithful to the source material, but nobody came out to, saw it, to, to see it. And I wonder if the, if the stink of this one was, was, still, was still there. So the next movie on the list, uh, number 16, is one of my favorite books by one of my favorite authors. It's uh, the, the Bonfire of the Vanities. And this is a movie that, frankly, I don't think it's as bad as people thought it was. It was just, first of all, it's very miscast. You've got uh, Tom Hanks, Melanie Griffith, who are not right for their roles. It's trying to make a book out of, I want to say, an 1,100-page book. Uh, and it just doesn't all come across. But again, I think this was ambitious and didn't work, but I don't think it was that bad. Jason, did you even see this one? Uh, no, but, uh, you know, in, in, my, in my later years, uh, you know, as a somewhat cinephile, I, I'm familiar with the story behind it. And I think this is another case, you know, I mean, Hollywood is littered with, uh, you know, successful literary adaptations, uh, uh, um, sorry, successful books that were poorly um, made into films. Uh, of course, I can't come up with one off the top of my head at the moment. I keep thinking of <laughs> Forrest Gump, which was incredibly popular and incredibly successful. Um, I'm thinking about, uh, th there are a handful of Elmore Leonard novels that did it incredibly well, but tanked at the box office when they tried to adapt them. Um, yeah, it's, it's, just, gen it's, it's generally, hard. it's difficult because there's an expectation from the reader. And one of, one of my favorite things, it, it's a story you, you've probably heard me tell, but I was at summer camp and for some reason missed out on seeing Gremlins so my mother sent the book to me and I, I was probably in like fifth or sixth grade. I don't remember exactly when this was. And I didn't realize that they made books from the movie. So I just assumed that Gremlins was a novel someone had written that then got made into a movie. <laughs> it wasn't a novelization. That's great. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that was a thing when I was in fifth grade. And frankly, I don't think it was that common a thing. But I might be the only person on earth who read Gremlins and then went to see it and was a little disappointed because it didn't live up to the book. I'm impressed that they did a, a novelization of Gremlins. <laughs> they did. Uh, so number 15, you're going to have to take this one because I don't remember this one. This is Assassins, another movie with Sylvester Stallone uh, holding a gun and scowling slightly. This one I do remember. And this is another one where th this, this is what Dread, Judge Dredd should have been, right? This is a perfectly serviceable mid-90s actioner. I think where, where people sort of look at it um, with disdain is kind of like uh, Bonfire of the Vanities, the sum of its parts should have been better than a serviceable actioner from the mid-90s. I mean, you're talking about uh, Richard Donner, the guy behind uh, the, the, the two best Superman movies ever made. 
uh, the Wachowskis uh, wrote the script. Uh, we all know they went on to, to be um, to, to pen the Matrix films. Uh, you're talking about peak Stallone. What, you know, how, how does that not spin itself into something better than your serviceable mid-90s actioner? Yeah, I mean, peak Stallone, but this was also Stallone at the time. He wasn't saying no to anything. <laughs> so I guess, like, I mean, th- like, given who was involved with this, this in, admittedly, Tango and Cash wasn't, didn't light up the box office, but that's at least remembered fondly. This should have been in that same vein. Yeah, I think this was just one of those too much movies. So the next movie on the list is a movie that if you didn't know it existed, you wouldn't believe it. But there was a period in the 90s where if you were famous, and it didn't matter what you were famous for, you could be a a comedian, you could be a sports star, maybe you were in a toilet paper commercial a lot of people watched, it really didn't matter. They would give you a movie. And sometimes that was successful. Uh, If you remember the Ernest movies, he had a hit and managed to make eight or nine other movies, uh, each worse than the last. This one, number 14, is Chairman of the Board. Jason, do you remember who stars in Chairman of the Board? I do, because I'm looking at him, but (laughs) it's Carrot Top. Was this even released theatrically? It it was. Wow. I mean, they made, Austin Powers made a joke about this, if I'm not familiar, if I'm not, uh, if I'm remembering that correctly. Do you remember that? In one, one of the Austin Powers movies, he's going through like uh, so, uh, Dr. Evil's plans and he comes across the Carrot Top script. <laughs> I don't remember that. But this movie, according to Screen Rant, cost $10 million to make and only earned $181,000 at the box office. And I will point out that to this day, and it is now 2020, Carrot Top is still selling out in Las Vegas. I don't get it, but movie star was not the way to go for him. Wow, I thought he went on to bodybuilding. Well, he's ridiculously buff, which just doesn't work at all with like being a prop comedian. So they try to disguise that on the billboards. But when you see him in person, he's got that weird head on like the Incredible Hulk's body. And it's very, very strange. But apparently he's still, you know, he's in a, been at a big venue for a very long time in Las Vegas. Wow, so- I would have thought for sure he would have ended up you know, alongside Danny Bonaducci on True TV's Top Funniest. Uh, uh, Danny Bonaducci is probably somewhere in Vegas as well, but uh, if he's still with us, I'm not entirely sure he is. <laughs> so number 13 is a movie that has pretty much the one ingredient in the 80s and 90s that generally means a hit or at least some cult success, uh, and that is excessive nudity. Number 13 is striptease, naked Demi Moore at the height of Demi Moore being Demi Moore, and this was a colossal bomb. It was, and I, to your point, I don't understand it because it, it is what it says it is. It's a, a terrible movie with a bunch of naked people in it. Like that was the whole pitch. It, 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 it won Razzie Awards across the board, but so what? The whole point was, give me 10 bucks. You can come see Demi Moore naked. So I think the problem here is, do you remember there was a whole bunch of outrage about this? Should it be rated NC-17? Should it be rated R? And yeah. this, might, this might be the only movie that theaters enforced younger people, and I mean like 14, 15, 16, buying a ticket to something else and not going into this movie. Yeah, I remember, I vividly remember, because I was in college at the time, and I was a freshman in college, that some of my roommates were turned away. And what, what did we end up seeing anyway? I don't remember what we saw anyway, but we did. We, we went in and, and three of us bought tickets and two of us weren't 
18 yet. So they were like, nope, sorry, you, you can't go. And we had to exchange our tickets for something else because they had people stationed at the box office door. Yeah, and I also think the opposite happened. I think there were theaters that weren't policing it where some other movie was getting credit for a bunch of kids sneaking in to see this. Well, do you remember, do you remember the director? He went, he went on like uh, the Today Show or, or some national program and encouraged people to like sneak in and see the film. Yeah, and this is a movie that's had a long sort of uh, cult life. They still show it at midnight screenings, and it's absolutely absurd, but it did deliver what it promised. I mean, nobody went to this one for the story. That wasn't... No, no. Was... This, you know what? You know what should have been on here instead of this is the, the one with Elizabeth Hurley, um, Showgirls. That one that, was straight up terrible. Uh, that, that would be Elizabeth Berkeley. Let's get that. Oh, who did, what, did, what did I say? Elizabeth Hurley. Totally different oh, bad yeah, actress. You're right. Yes. My, my apologies to Elizabeth Hurley. So, so number 12, uh, a series of movies. I've, I've loved almost all of them, but this one pushes you very, very hard. Batman and Robin. Awful. I mean, it, this is the one that ruined the Batman frame. They took how many years off between this and Batman Begins? They, it, 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 this movie forced Warner Brothers to wait for Christopher Nolan before they would revisit Batman. Is this the one with Mr. Freeze? Yes, it is. I still see you. Right. <laughs> this, I mean, Joel Schumacher, uh, uh, Clooney uh, uh, tells George Clooney, who played Batman in this one, tell, famously tells a story about as they're, they're shooting whatever scene it is. And it didn't matter because Schumacher was there and, and kept... Um, uh, echoing the same, the same sentiment is, remember, this is a cartoon. We're making a cartoon. And look, cartoon Batman works as cartoon Batman. But when people, you know, when you're making a live action film of The Dark Knight, they don't want holy rusted metal Batman. They want, they want, you know, some people just want to watch the world burn, right? Yeah, and, and I would argue that even cartoon Batman has moved into a pretty dark place, you know, that his position as a character, even in the cartoons, is the sort of person who mistrusts the Justice League, who's always sort of pitted against uh, the powered heroes and has the means to keep them in check when they inevitably get taken over by some bad guy or go mad with power. Uh, so yeah, this was a misstep in every level. Uh, which I don't think is true of number 11. Uh, number 11 is a movie I remember somewhat enjoying. And this is 1994's Beverly Hills Cop 3. Oh, see, I, I, I remember specifically disliking this one because it was such a departure from the first two. And, and let's not kid ourselves either. Beverly Hills Cop 2 wasn't that great. It was good, but it's hard to, it's hard to, to come up, you know, come off of a, a seminal breakout hit like Beverly Hills Cop was, is. Um, so I'll cut Beverly Hills Cop 2 a little bit of slack, but, but the third one, doesn't it end up with uh, the, the Disneyland proxy, whatever it's called? Uh, they, they introduce a new character called Axel the Fox. I, I got to be honest. I don't remember. I just remember at the time thinking, okay, this is like, and look, we're at a point now where the third film in a series can be bigger than the first and second film. That's not actually how movies used to work. There were diminishing returns on most sequels. So by the third one, you're speaking to the core audience and the goal is to have all the familiar scenes you remember. And this, this mostly hit that, you know, you had, uh, uh Eddie Murphy being outrageous. You had the, the stuffy cops uh, being a little stuffy, but they couldn't be as stuffy because they've already seen that it works. 
So I, I don't know. I, I, this is me being overly positive or, or maybe just nostalgically fond. Uh, but Jason, moving to number 10, I'm going to see if you remember the plot of number 10. Number 10 is a movie called Milk Money. Milk Money. This was the one where uh, it was, Mel I, I can see the picture here, it was Melanie Griffith. And she was a call girl who was hired by a 10-year-old. Yeah, I, I believe, I believe it's, sure that's right. it's Haley Joel Osment, but I'm not entirely sure. Right. Uh, but to be clear, she wasn't hired by the 10-year-old for what you would think a call girl would be hired for. The 10-year-old and his friends wanted to see her boobs, so they hired her to flash them. And then she eventually falls in love with that kid's dad. That's yeah, this, this is part of the, uh, the fallout of Pretty Woman, I would say, in that we, we got a lot of bad, hey, hookers just need to meet a nice guy. <laughs> I, I guess but like when the when the nice guy's 10 like i don't know that well yeah but it, it's this premise that like every hooker has a heart of gold they don't have a drug problem there yeah. it's not just transactional for them they're they're just waiting to meet richard gear or in this case i think it was ed harris are you serious <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's great because i mean ed harris he's famously like meticulous in his roles and my apologies if i'm remembering that incorrectly to ed harris who I, i'm sure is listening <laughs> but wow. so number the next one here number nine is probably the best comedic actor in in just a handful of movies uh leslie nielsen leslie nielsen was obviously an airplane uh the naked gun is one of the few movies where i remember laughing out loud from beginning to end in the theater and the problem is those movies take years to write. They're dense. They're full of jokes. And when it became obvious that Leslie Nielsen was a business, they made 1996's Spy Hard, a sort of spoof of Die Hard, but mostly in name, that just did not work on any level. Yeah, see, this, uh, you know, I, I blame whoever was behind this, and I don't know who the writers or producer were, but this is what, this is what sparked... Uh, the run of awful parodies like the the scary movie films and disaster movie and National Lampoon's Dirty Movie and yeah I don't think you can you can include uh, scary movie necessarily in there that was a you little know, I'll, bit I'll, better I'll, I'll give the first one maybe even the first two in that in that franchise a pass but you know, scary movie three four five and six was awful when 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 uh, uh, oh boy who was the actress Anna um, I can't think of her last name. She famously married Chris Pratt. Ferris, uh, Anna Ferris. When Anna Ferris left that franchise and it, she was replaced with Carmen Electra circa 2005, that's when it really got bad. But the point is, you've got all these, you know, parody for the sake of parody does not make comedy. And replaced with Carmen Electra, uh, with Carmen Electra is really never a good phrase. <laughs> There's no situation where if you were like, hey, I ordered a meatball sub, and it was replaced with Carmen Electra, where you'd be happy. So well, look, in 1996, <laughs> maybe, yeah. Before Rodman? I, I, I don't know. She was kind of a D-grade version of uh, Pamela Anderson at the time, I think would be fair to say. And speaking of D-grade, number eight is a movie that, just telling you the name, is going to tell you who is in it. Cool as Ice, a film I saw in the theater. You did not. I absolutely did. Wow. I was... <laughs> did you demand your money back? So, so I, I assume I was reviewing it for something. I can't imagine why I would have seen you, this. Uh, Dan, 
Be honest with us. You you owned both Vanilla Ice albums, didn't you? I, I did not own it. one. I know you did, but <laughs> you, you, you know my taste in music and that I certainly did not like. Now, I did enjoy his performance in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secrets of the Ooze, uh, because really, uh, I, I assume he played the ooze. I, I, don't, I don't really remember. You don't remember the ninja rap? The, was it the ninja rap or the turtle rap? I, Whatever I, it was called. I, I do remember the ninja rap. I don't remember what part he played in that movie. Uh, cool as ice look. This is, we talked about this before with Carrot Top. Person is famous for something else. They make a cash grab movie with him. This almost never works. And oh boy, it it, it had a $6 million budget and it lost $4.8 million, not counting marketing. Well, so, look, you're, you're, look, you're right. Vanilla Ice was, he's no actor, okay? But to be fair to him, he wasn't helped when he's giving lines. And I do remember this line distinctly. Somebody wrote this and said, this is, this is going to work. Say this line. And in his best dramatic voice, he says, ditch the zero and get with the hero. I believe that was the tagline for the movie. <laughs> Probably was, but like, come on. If <laughs> I'm not saying he's Bogart, but uh, give the guy, you know, give the guy something to do. Right, so number seven is a movie that was terrible at the time, but now one, I don't think you could show it. Uh, the movie is Ghost Dad. It, this is not Bill Cosby's worst movie, in my opinion. That would be Leonard Part 6. But there was a time where Bill Cosby was so beloved, he could do anything he wanted. And what he cho chose to do is a movie called Ghost Dad. Jason, do you remember the plot of this one? Because I can't say I do. I don't remember how he died. But he was it a car accident? What a, he dies and it comes back as a ghost whom only his kids can see? <laughs> yeah, I, th that sounds right to me. So now, like, look, could, could you watch an episode of The Cosby Show and, like, not feel creepy? I can watch an episode of The Cosby Show, and, but I would cringe. Yeah, see, I, I can't say, like, sometimes when, when someone's terrible, like, James Woods is a pretty terrible person. But yeah. if, I'm, if I'm watching some of his better movies or his Family Guy appearances, I can accept that, you know, we just disagree and he's vehemently a jerk. He's not a serial rapist. And, uh, no, no, Bill Cosby is a, is, is a, is a, is a jerk, but he's also a, a horrible, horrible criminal. Um, and, and a hypocrite. Now, to be fair, I called him a serial rapist. I believe he's only been uh, convicted of one specific crime. Uh, that said, he's been accused countless times. But this was also a guy who scolded people for letting their pants hang low. You know, he, he held himself up as some paragon of virtue while he was literally, allegedly, dropping uh, drugs into people's drinks yeah. and, you know, having his way with them. Uh, for anyone who's listening, don't do that. <laughs> Number six, again, Leslie Nielsen, someone who is so beloved, for some reason, chose to play Mr. Magoo. Mr. Magoo is a cartoon. He was blind, and sort of the bit was everything went right for him in kind of a Rube Goldberg machine kind of way. I cannot say I saw this movie. Jason, do you remember what they did with Mr. Magoo? Yeah, they did exactly what the cartoon was. I, I don't know why this, why this is uh, you know, deemed so, so awful. I mean, look, this isn't high cinema. We're not talking about Chinatown here. You're, you're talking about a, a live remake of a 1950s era cartoon? Yeah, it, it just strikes me that something like a cartoon could take the edge off. Uh, Joshua and I were talking, my 16-year-old my son, about Richie Rich. 
And like a real life Richie Rich is a terribly obnoxious person, but a cartoon Richie Rich kind of plays. So I think one, this was deemed as pretty offensive to people who couldn't see well. Uh, Mr. Magoo is not sort of a, a role model to blind people. He's kind of a moron. Well, yeah, so, but if, if you're making a film and you're just calling it, you know, Mr. Blind Eyes and you do the exact same thing, then yes, I could see that being offensive, but you're, 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 you're remaking source material. Like there, there are yeah, decades but, of Mr. Magoo cartoons out there. Yeah, but here's the reality. I think there's a reason you don't see a lot of Speedy Gonzalez these days. That even well, okay. uh, I don't know if I'd equate Mr. Magoo to uh, you know the racial overtones of you know Speedy Gonzalez or his cousin Slowpoke Rodriguez. <laughs> even uh, you're not seeing a lot of uh, Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> you know, you know. As, I as think much, Johnny Knoxville would beg to, to differ. Well, well, nobody, not a lot of people saw that. <laughs> uh, and and you know, Boss Hogg wasn't a full-on racist Southern sheriff. But he was right on the edge. He was a parody of being a racist Southern sheriff. So there's just some things that were appropriate at their time. Like, I think right now, it would be really odd to remake Fat Albert. And I get it. Fat Albert was really popular. But it's not cool to call the big fat guy Fat Albert. <laughs> like that. You clearly, have, you clearly have not seen the, uh, the acapella movies. Um... And I can't think of their names. The uh, Rebel Wilson's character is Fat Amy. Yeah. For three films. But isn't that her, like, they're sort of parodying that? I don't know about that. I, mean, I, I can't say that I've seen much of any one of those uh, films, but uh, I've seen enough of them to know that like, that's just her name. Like, the, the bit was, if she calls herself fat, then it's taking the sting out of other people calling her fat. But whatever. Yeah. Like, every time she's on screen and somebody's referring to her, they call her Fat Amy. Yeah, I'm not sure that was all that helpful to uh, to kids who could lose some weight. But no, I I agree. But you know, the, 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 I think the point stands that the other problem too with Fat Albert is again that's Bill Cosby. Oh yeah, that's true as well. Uh, and, and and picture pages will never be the same either. Oh, and I miss <laughs> picture pages. That was great. what was the name of the pen? Didn't the pen have a name? I, I can honestly say I've never seen picture pages. Oh, uh, I love picture pages. So number five is the third entry of Sylvester Stallone, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. He had an awful decade in the 90s. How's Cliffhanger? Well, I suppose we got four more that we could look at here. I'll see if Cliffhanger shows up. No, there's no way Cliffhanger's on that, this list. That movie was great. <laughs> John Lithgow on the side of a mountain, like oh, I mean, survivaling. It's, like... it's preposterous, but in a very entertaining way. It's like if you go to see The Rock in a movie – where like, you know a skyscraper is going to be on fire, it's going to make no sense. There's going to be like cars that jump over buildings and things like that, but it will be a lot of fun. I mean, like nobody is going to see, I forget the name of the movie, the, the one that Vin Diesel's in right now that you can, I think, rent at home because it opened. Oh, blood, right, blood something, bloodshot. Bloodshot. Blood like nobody's like, oh, like I, I believe the subtle work of Vin Diesel. Like, <laughs> you know. Okay, but that, okay, now back to my mom, stop or my mom will shoot. Estelle Getty, you know, toting an AK-47. That should be comedy gold. Yeah, this one did not work. Uh, the, the next one, I actually think on some level did work, and it was, it was kind of a bold movie at the time. Uh, number four, Cool World, uh, sort of an R-rated Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, like from a technical standpoint, this movie is amazing. Uh, you know, I'm not saying it's entertaining, but the way that they were able to put this film together and have it be as seamless as it was, that was impressive filmmaking. Yeah, I mean, look, this is a movie that 
could be made better now. And I just don't think anyone watched Roger Rabbit. Like, you know what's missing here? I want to see more cartoon sex. Like, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> so put, put Jessica Rabbit into a Google image search and see what you get back. Okay, kids, don't do that. <laughs> that, that. That is going to get you a virus. That is a bad idea. Uh, I'm not even sure what I could say about that. And I don't remember the next one. I mean, I remember that I, I literally bought my son a video game in this series today. But number three is Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Yeah, and I can honestly so... say I don't recognize the character that's, excuse me, in the still shot here. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to think of his name either. But the first Mortal Kombat was good. I, I dare say it's great for what it is. It's arguably the best video game adaptation in film history. But on the heels of that, like I remember pe- people were, were, were crazy trying to uh, go and see it one, you know, tw- two, three different times. And then when Annihilation came out, they like slashed the budget, they recast everybody and fired the screenwriter? Yeah, like, what? That is sort of how those movies worked, where there was diminishing returns, so you would make cheaper and cheaper movies. Uh, what's the one with the British lady in the black leather? Uh, that's a that's a video game series. You the know, British I mean. lady in the um, I've, that, that is not Tomb Raider. No, um, yeah, oh no, I'm, I'm, uh, is is it Kate Beckinsale? <laughs> it's well, she's it, in she's in the um, it, vampires it, versus uh, uh, werewolf films. Um, yeah, which, Underworld. Which, yeah, and those got. But those aren't video game movies. That's not based on a video game. Those, those got cheaper and more fan servicey. So by the end, and I think that series is over. If you hadn't seen the previous ones, it made no sense to you. Resident Evil. Now that's, I don't know if they, I, I don't know if they if they started slashing uh, budgets after the the first one. That's Mia Jovovich. Yeah. So they kept Mia Jovovich and had nobody else. And based yeah. on the career of Mia Jovovich, I don't think she had a lot of choices. Uh, I feel like she's not working maybe all that much anymore. But Mortal Mortal Kombat Annihilation should have been so much better than it was because the first one was legitimately good. I, d- I dare you to come up with a better video game adaptation than the first Mortal Kombat. Uh, I'm going to argue the Super Mario. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're down to the end here. Number two is a movie that, one, the premise makes absolutely no, no sense. And this is the 90s. 80s and 90s are full of high premise movies where literally you would walk in as a producer and be like, okay, it's Die Hard, but set at an amusement park. You know, and, and it's Lethal Weapon, but the insane partner is a chimpanzee like it doesn't it doesn't matter as long as you had a one-line pitch so and if a movie was successful enough they made a sequel even if it made very little sense to make a sequel and in this case one of the lead actors dropped out this is speed to cruise control speed on a cruise ship but what could go wrong how about everything uh from like you said keanu reeves not being in the and fine, Keanu Reeves isn't going to be in the film. Then just recap, like, have Sandra Bullock's character, I don't remember her name, Annie, I think it was, have her be with another guy. Why, why make, was it Jason Patrick? Who, who? Yes. Why Wait, make was, Jason Patrick the same character? Why was, he pl- was he playing the same character? I, I'm pretty I, sure he was. I'm, I, I'm like 99% on that. They just like, <laughs> he's the same guy, but he looks completely different. <laughs> yeah, that, that's... That's a bad idea. You but, got Willem Dafoe going full Willem Dafoe. I shouldn't say that, I mean, but, but being just way over the top crazy. 
you know, it's Willem Dafoe channeling uh, Nicolas Cage. You could have replaced him with Cage and it would have been the same performance. But the idea behind speed is that they're at a bus that has to stay above, I think it was 50 miles an hour, or it will explode. Now, that's a challenge because a bus is on streets. A cruise ship is in the middle of the ocean. There is nothing but space. And I, I don't remember what they had to do in order for it to not blow up, but the peril was not there because you're worried in cruise. Well, if they slow down, they're all going to die, but so is anybody nearby. So how do you keep the streets clear? How do you, you know, get this going with a cruise ship? It just seems like, okay, just sail around for a while and we'll sail a boat up next to it and people can get off. Like it doesn't, it doesn't seem as, good an idea as as bad as this film was i would say this is not sandra bullock's worst mid or all 90s film i would say the net is probably worse than this well the net do you remember that yeah the net is one of those movies where it's about computers but it's written by old people who don't know how to understand careers yes (laughs) yeah and and i i think that's a problem in a lot of movies because do you remember and for a while when you went through airport security you had to show them that your laptop could turn on yeah. because the only way your laptop could be a bomb would of course be if the only triggering method was turning it on, it caused it to blow up. Right. So like it had never occurred to the old guy who made this rule that somehow you could have a laptop that could both turn on and be a bomb. I don't want you to start making me turn my laptop on again, but I feel like that, you know, was, it was, sort of endemic in all of these computer movies and there were a lot of them johnny that is, mnemonic that is not number one on this list uh, johnny mnemonic we are not going to talk about that is a terrible terrible movie uh number one is baby geniuses jason do you want to lay out the premise of baby geniuses oh, this was terrible oh, i'm so angry that this movie exists the, the the whole bit is you're born brilliant and as you age through your toddler years you degenerate mentally until you get to school age and then you can start to put it all back that's pretty much it yeah i i gotta be honest i didn't see this i remember thinking it was preposterous at the time i think the scariest thing here might be that this movie was profitable no Um, this movie made money it did so Jason, we could do this again. And in fact, we are going to do this again. Uh, uh, It might be next week. It might be two weeks. We're going to do the worst movies of the 80s. And at some point, we'll do albums. We will do uh, the the zeros. So we're going to stick with the the sort of worst of the week uh, format. And we'll do this from time to time. It was very nice having you. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Awesome. Looking forward to it.